Welcome to the East Career Podcast, brought to you from the East Section of Career Development. I'm Brad Dennis from Vanderbilt University. Today we're going to do something a little different than our usual minutes with the Masters. For anyone considering a career in trauma or not yet sure if trauma is the right career path for you, this is the episode for you. Joining me today are the two winners of the 2016 Oriens Award, Dr. Sam Ross and Dr. Dylan Neiman. The Oriens Award was created in 2010 by the Careers Committee, led at the time by Dr. Bill Chu. Oriens is a Latin word meaning east or rising sun. In the context of this award, both translations seem to fit perfectly. The Oriens Award is an annual essay competition that is open to residents and fellows. Applicants submit a one-page essay on the topic of, this is why I want a career in trauma and acute care surgery. So in this way, Oriens represents both East as an organization, but also our future or the rising suns of our profession. Essays are reviewed and scored by the East Careers section, and two winners are selected, one resident and one fellow. The winners are announced at the East Annual Scientific Assembly during the always popular Oriens Award session. The session also features a keynote speaker. Previous keynote speakers include giants of trauma surgery like L.D. Britt, David Feliciano, and Bill Schwab, to name a few. In 2016, the keynote address was given by Dr. Don Jenkins, who gave an excellent and inspiring talk on, uh, entitled Team of Teams. In addition to the keynote address, the winners are also invited to read their essay. This is often an opportunity for those of us in the audience uh, practicing trauma surgery to remind ourselves of why we went into trauma. It also serves as an inspiration and even motivation to see that there are others, particularly those early in their careers, who, sh who shared the same passion for trauma that we do. After hearing the winning essays at this year's meeting, we thought what better topic for a CareerCast episode than to have the two winners share their essays with our listeners. And to help me do that today is our distinguished East President, Dr. Nicole Staffan. Welcome, Dr. Staffan. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I think looking at the East Orions Award and what has developed in its short six years is it's really become the session at the East meeting that people go to to recharge um, about their careers. Everybody tends to leave the session with just a slightly lighter, lighter step than when they walked in. You know, the day-to-day the -day grind of being a, particularly an academic trauma surgeon or even one in private practice, um, the, the, the nitty-gritty um, can sometimes bring you a little bit down and you forget why you went into it in the first place. I know um, when I was when I was running the careers and trauma section, um, one of the highlights was reading all of the essays and seeing all of the different reasons why people were choosing to do what we did. Um, and it was the, the one of the best parts about being on that section and certainly one of the best parts about going to the meeting. There's a ton of content, but really one that, that gets to the soul of who we are, and that's really the, the Orion's Award. You know, it wouldn't be anywhere without the, the foresight of um, Bill Chu at, at um at Shock Trauma and Jennifer Knight at West Virginia who came up with the idea in the first place and much like East, you know, started thirty years ago with, you know, sixteen people in a room um in Longboat Key, you know, we're now up to two thousand people. I think we've seen the same with the Orients and it's really really just terrific. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. It was um a lot of fun uh reading all the essays uh, this past year. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, our first winner is the resident winner, and it's Dr. Sam Ross. Uh, Dr. Ross is currently a fourth-year resident at Carolina's Medical Center. Dr. Ross, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Well, great to have you. Um, and we're ready whenever you are if you want to go ahead and, and read your essay for us. Sure. Um, so um, 
Again, I'm, I'm Sam Rossum uh, from Carolina's Medical Center, where I'm currently doing my residency. Um, and this is a kind of a, a vignette of a, a clinical case that really kind of touched me. Um, so I'll go ahead. I could see it in his eyes, the utter fear of what was happening. I'm sure I mirrored it in my own, because he looked just like my son. Blue-eyed, shaggy blonde hair, just his same height. A toddler who should be playing at home, not dying before my eyes in the trauma bay. It was the type of tragic story you see on a television show. A kid's third birthday, traveling to his own birthday party, and the car breaks down. He is on the side of the road, walking to his parents' other car, when fate, destiny, misfortune, whatever cruel force of nature or gods brought a car directly into his path on the side of the road, in that tiny window of time and place where he was the most vulnerable. We moved, despair mixed with razor-sharp focus. I feel helpless, but no, I am not. The responsibility is on my shoulders. Death or life, make the right choice. Keep going, air replaced. He's hypotensive and fast positive. An open frontal skull fracture. I have to move faster. We have to get to the OR. I pause. I pray, and I think of all the moments he has yet to live. Getting tucked in at night with his parents, his father reading him a story, the look of wonder mixed with sleepiness, learning to ride a bike, the electric joy of his first gift, first kiss, graduating high school, making his mark on the world, the ever-branching web of influence he has, will have, on a countless number of lives, and then those strands that touch so many are cut, never actually being made, and in its place is left a void, a chasm of unfulfilled hope, unmade memories, bonds broken, dreams laid fallow, the potential of this life and all its commiserate promise just evaporate. I want to look away from that dark vision, the abject terror of it and its reflection onto my own son's future, but I can't. Instead, I drive, I drink it in uh, to drive me forward, to fuel my fervor, guide my hands, to give me purpose, to give my life in this moment a purpose. Doors open and all eyes and ears are on us. Everyone doing their role, playing their part, practice like a ritual rite of prayer, and we are praying, we are hoping and wishing Every heart and mind lockstep in this one need. Let him live, make him better. A singular clarity of focus and resolve revolve around him. Prep, pray. Drapes, pray. Knife, pray. Spleen out, amen. The neurosurgeon takes over as I strip off my gloves, gown, mask, and finally I take a breath. He is stable and he is going to live for now. But what kind of life? His brain injury is severe and a bifrontal craniectomy is performed. Will he wake, faint, talk, walk again? Will he be a little boy again? Doubt begins to creep into my mind, but I hope, but hope and time is what is required now. Hope and time that we have given him and his family. Flash forward a month, and as much as I try to keep up with this boy, I lost his progress in the shuffle of the daily work, the new patients, and all the old responsibilities. I am on off service and <clears throat> run into the pediatric intensivist in the hall. How's the boy doing with the brain injury uh, doing? Oh, I'm sorry he died, he says. The lights dim, the hallway darkens. I thank him, but innerly I hate him and myself. Yet another day ruined with the impotence of a fate unchanged. So I look back to see what, what we could have done. In my whole week, day, residency is, is made right. He's not dead. He is very much alive and recovering in rehab. I go see him and my heart is uplifted because he is alive not just in the basic meaning of the word, but he's talking and walking with help and being a little boy again. Innocence tarnished, but not shattered, still with problems, not made whole, but able to grow, able to improve. 
His mother and father smile with joy that only a child can bring, still able to hug him, still able to love him, love and learn, and have a whole life with his promise and opportunity is ripe for the choosing. His smile was worth it all. As gut-wrenching as that day was when he came under my care, this face, who could have been a twin for my own son, was unquestionably worth the extra years of school, the long hours, the hardships of residency, and too few moments with my own family. The feelings of <clears throat> the feeling of his future slipping through my fingers, terror, despair, doubt, grief, were replaced with renewed faith. New memories, promises fulfilled, friends made and loves kindled, dreams pursued and family made whole, replaced that void that would have been his life cut short. Not just for him, but for every person he will ever touch and influence. Every relationship, every deed and accomplishment, whether revolutionary or as simple as a kind word, rippling forever out into humanity. Because he had a chance to be a boy, a man, a son, a husband, he has a chance to give his life purpose. And that, the crux of that hope, defying injury and preventing death before a life is fulfilled, is what feeds my soul. It's what gives my life a purpose. It's what makes me a trauma surgeon. Excellent, Dr. Ross. That was, that was really moving. Uh, we really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, I want to take a minute to just ask a couple questions, you know, have a little conversation with you if you don't mind. Sure. Um, when did you first get interested in trauma? Um, so I was always kind of interested in, in surgery itself because my mother was a CRNA. Actually, this is before HIPAA was really in place. I got to go into the operating room as a teenager and kind of peek in and even scrub into some cases. So I always kind of knew that that was uh, on the horizon for me. So once I was in medical school, I actually um, was volunteering as an EMT and got to see kind of these car crashes and stabs and you know, gunshot wounds firsthand, and that's what really got me interested in, in doing trauma. Um, and then as a medical student at Chapel Hill, um, that really cemented uh, for me. Okay. So you've really kind of seen it on all, both the, the pre-hospital as well as the in-hospital side then, huh? Yeah. Okay, excellent. How about mentors? What, uh, who were some of your mentors in medical school or residency that really influenced you um, uh, to, to pursue trauma? Um, so in medical school, uh, one of the, my mentors at Chapel Hill was uh, Dr. Anthony Charles. Um, he actually, I did my um, MPH under him as well. Um, and so he's kind of a, a model of an academic surgeon, um, academic trauma surgeon for me. Um, and just the way he approached patients, the way he approached Acute, like very acute patients, even on the acute care surgery side, um, and especially for traumas, it, it was just you know calm demeanor. Um, he was just the guy in the room that you wanted to be, um, and that really kind of um, you know was a, a model for me. Excellent. Um, and then in, in residency, um, a guy named Dr. Ron Singh kind of got his hooks into me early when he saw the, kind of the research I was doing um, coming out of Chapel Hill, and um, he. Um, has been a great research mentor as well as a, a clinical mentor and always kind of striving me to ask uh, more questions. Um, and that was actually one of the uh, awards that I won last year for the Raymond Alexander Award was um, looking at, you know, kind of challenging the maxims that we take for granted. So um, he, was, he was one of my uh, mentors here at, Jeff, at um, Carolina's Medical Center. Great. Excellent. Dr. Stassen, do you have any questions? Well, I think that um, did you – find any time that when you express your interest in a career in trauma that anyone anyone ever said, no, that's a bad idea? <laughs> um, actually, that's, that's funny you said that because on, on a kind of a daily basis, some of the, like, surgeon attendings or HPB or, you know, whoever, those type of, like, 
you know, you want don't you want to operate? And I'm like, this is what we do, you know, all day, all night is operate on sick, sick patients. And that's what I want to operate on is those very acute patients where I'm doing the most good. Um, actually, we had a patient the other day with, uh, presented with hemorrhagic pancreatitis and abdominal compartment syndrome. And the abdominal compartment syndrome was the part that interested me the most. That's the acute need for operation. Um, and so without a doubt, I don't have any qualms about you know, my choice for being uh, wanting to go into trauma and acute care surgery. So what would you say to that student who's interested? I would say um, you really have to follow your passion, you know, no, no matter um, what, you know, if it's uh, the part of trauma the, that's kind of the life-threatening issue or the acute issues of um, acute care surgery or, or even just following the kind of the physiology of the surgical critical care. Um, all of those things, you know, entice me and on an intellectual level as well as kind of a visceral level. You have that feeling that you're helping people in a very real way that you can see in front of your eyes. Um, and so I would tell them that you got to follow those passions um, in all those aspects. All the questions I've got. All right, great. Thank you. All right, so let's turn our uh, attention to uh, to uh, Dr. Dylan uh, Neiman. So he's um, a fellow at uh, the University of Rochester, um, and so to introduce him, I'll, I'll uh, hand over to Dr. Stassen. Well, so I'm I'm fortunate um, to have Dylan in our program. He was a resident in our program and then chose to pursue surgical critical care and trauma with us, so we couldn't be happier about that. And I'm not involved in the Orion's voting, so um, it is not up to me that uh, that he was one of our Orion's winners. But you know, when you look at somebody who's pursued a career and pursued um, research and thought things through, there's there's few that have approached it with the same dedication that Dylan has. So um, he'll be finishing with us this July, and unfortunately we won't be able to retain him in Rochester because we don't have his space. But um, but he's going to do great things. So, Dylan, if you would like to read your essay. Thank you. As trauma and acute care surgeons, we have the privilege of bearing witness to humanity at its most vulnerable. Every time I rush to the trauma bay, or round in the intensive care unit, or meet with a patient post-operatively, I am reminded of this. Am I going to die is the first question the brash young man with tattoos and bullet holes asks after I tell him that he will need surgery. Stripped naked, inspected from head to toe, poked and prodded, blood drawn, writhing on exam, things get very real very quickly. Probably not. I don't like to sugarcoat things. But we won't know how much damage there is until we get into the operating room. His aggression and bravado fades. But you're going to fix me, right? Faced with mortality at a time in life when everyone forgets they are not invincible, even the most aggressive and strident young men seem fragile and intensely human. I'll do my best. And that's the truth. When I check on him postoperatively in the early hours of the morning, his eyes closed and blanket tucked under his chin, his mother asleep in the bedside chair. He looks no different from the young man with appendicitis in the next room. In the ICU, weeks stretch on for the 40-something woman who had gone to an urgent care center with what she thought was a muscle strain in her chest, but turned out to be an aggressive necrotizing infection that consumed most of the soft tissue of her left trunk. She arrived at our hospital, severely septic, and despite aggressive surgical debridement and resuscitation, she had arrested twice the first night. Her husband spent every day at her bedside, 
while their two children were in school. After extubation, day 11, she was confused and hoarse, and we weren't sure at first if her British accent was a sign of delirium. This made her husband laugh for the first time since she had arrived. He pulled me aside a few days later and asked if I thought seeing their mother like this would be too much to handle for middle-school-aged children. As she cleared and progressed, her hand, which had infarcted the first night, progressively demarcated and necrosed and required amputation. Weeks later, I saw her make her first lap around the unit, grinning broadly and leaning on a walker fitted with special padding for her forearm. Her husband and children were one step behind with a chair in case she tired. I was at once elated for her and her victory, and awed by their resilience, but also plagued with disappointment that we couldn't make her whole again. In moments like these, I find solace, reflecting on those we were able to restore. The woman in her third trimester, who was taken for emergent cesarean section after becoming hypotensive and unresponsive in OB triage. Responding to a stat page for trauma surgery to the obstetrical OR, I encountered hemorrhage cascading over the sides of the table as I entered the room. As the anesthesiologists raced to replace her blood as quickly as it was pooling on the floor, I blindly passed my arm through her fan and seal incision and reached up to the hiatus for aortic control. I breathed an immense sigh of relief when reinforcements arrived. After 14 units of blood products and a distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy to control her ruptured splenic artery aneurysm, she was stable in the ICU and her child was safe in the NICU. When I came in to round on her the next day, after she had been extubated and seen by doctors from many different teams, she asked me what my role was. I told her, and she cried, and I cried too, re-experiencing the realization of what she had been through, how close she had come to dying, and overcome with the jubilation and catharsis of celebrating that life. Trauma and emergency general surgery issues can affect anyone, young or old, vigorous or frail, privileged or disenfranchised. Patients come to us with unexpected afflictions, and we are called upon to provide remedy. To perform this role, we undertake lifelong study and training. As a medical student first experiencing the thrill of the operating room, holding a beating heart, seeing limbs flayed open and bowel cut and sewn, I was dazzled by both the vivid intensity but also the horror of it. To be effective, a trauma surgeon learns to be unaffected by those horrors. But practice dissociation can tend toward dehumanization. And so I have chosen to embrace those occasions of clarified humanity, the cautious reassurance given in the face of trepidation, the modest and incremental steps towards a semblance of normalcy after a marathon slog through critical illness, the revelry of appreciating life in the wake of near death. I want to be a trauma and acute care surgeon because it affords me the opportunity to participate in people's lives in those moments. That opportunity is a responsibility and a privilege that I embrace and honor each day. Uh, that's great work, Dylan. That was uh, really vivid imagery. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, I have a couple questions for you as well. Uh, so what for, first drew you to trauma as a specialty? I had the privilege of uh, going to medical school at the University of Southern California, where trauma is a big part of our curriculum. Uh, I had the privilege of being exposed to Dr. Dimitriadis and Dr. Anaba when I was in my formative stages. And uh, it's really rare to find people who love what they do in any any occupation as much as Dr. Dimitriadis loves 
teaching and walking around the trauma ICU and taking care of really sick patients. And it's easy easy to fall in love with that. Um, so how about mentors? Obviously, Dr. Dimitriades was a mentor for you. Any other mentors who have been important in your uh, career path? Early on in medical school, yes. And then at, at Rochester, I had the fortune of working with a variety of great faculty. Uh, Dr. Paul Benke and Dr. Nicole Sasson, who's on the line right now primarily, have, uh, have been pivotal in my education as a resident and as a critical care fellow. So how about um, fellowship? Has that changed, uh, it, it, positive or negative, your view of trauma as a specialty? And you can answer truthfully, even though I'm on the line. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we get to spend a fair bit of time in the ICU during residency and uh, more so in fellowship. Uh, I think the ICU is really where we get to take care of the whole patient and really embrace the physiology of illness uh, and injury in, in its whole. And I think, you know, that's why we're here. I think we've chosen to treat injury as a disease and, you know, I, I I love it. Excellent. Okay. And so what would you say to any resident that was considering a trauma fellowship? I would tell them to make sure they like taking care of really sick patients. I think that, you know, medicine as a field has changed across the board, not just in surgery, uh, not just in trauma surgery. And, you know, it has to be its own reward. You have to go into it with eyes open, and you have to know that, you know, every day, you're either going to go home frustrated or you're going to go home happy. If you love what you're doing, you're going to go home happy. And uh, if you don't, you're going to go home frustrated because there's a lot of uh, – it's always friction along the road, and it's a, it's a tough road to hoe. So uh, if it's its own reward, then it is endless reward. Great. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. Uh, Dr. Stassen, do you have any questions? Dr. Well, Eden? I'll ask you the same questions, Dylan. How do you – did you ever encounter anyone in your – journey to hear that said, hey, why trauma? Don't you want to be a real surgeon? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. And uh, I think that's a misunderstanding of what we do. And I think that uh, I think that surgeons in general and various specialties uh, in particular feel that uh, what they do is the pinnacle of care and have trouble believing that when it, whatever anyone else does uh, can compare to that. And quite frankly, I feel the same way. Uh, I think that what I aspire to do is the pinnacle of care that you can offer a patient. Um, but I'm open-minded to the fact that everyone feels differently about these things. And uh, I take comfort in knowing that I can care for the patient who is most critically ill in the ICU without having to give over any control of that to anyone and can take a patient from an unexpected injury to back to normal life and every step of the way. How does your family feel about it now oh, that you're going to be embarking it. into attending them? And Dr. Ross my has a little bit more fact. time before that. My family loves the fact that I love what I do and that no matter how tired I am, I come home happy. All right. That's Excellent. what I've got. All right. Well, Dr. Stassen, if, while we've got you on the line, how about we ask you a couple questions as well? Okay. All right. So how about um, – you know, the same question we've been asking uh, the guys here, how and when did you decide that trauma was what you were interested in pursuing as a career? <laughs> so I think that um, you know, I, I run our medical student program here for a long time, and, and it's not a question that's, that is the first time that's been asked. But I think, you know, we all enter medical school with all these ideas of, of what we're going to do. And, you know, even going through medical school, 
you know, rotating through, surgery was a thing that fit. You know, it had a little bit of instant gratification. It had the ability to do something. You weren't just asking someone to take their high blood pressure medicines or do something else. So that was a, a pretty natural transition. And then as we went through residency, you know, you're rotating through all the different specialties, and there were so many cool things, but they seemed so cordoned off. Cardiac was really, really awesome, but you were really pretty limited in what you were doing. And then transplant was really cool, but yeah, they I liked the immunology, but I didn't love it. Um, and something really awful had to happen for something really great for someone else. And I just couldn't process that. I couldn't have that as, as the base of everything. And then second year of residency, I trained at the University of Chicago. And second year of residency, we went to Cook County to do trauma there. We did pediatric trauma at the university, and they're developing an adult trauma center now, but that certainly wasn't true in the 90s when I was there. And county was just a different, special, amazing place. Um, John Barrett, who was the, the division chief of trauma at the time, fabulous, amazing technical surgeon, calm under any circumstance, had a fantastic Irish brogue, which I would never try to duplicate because it was just it would just be an insult to the man. But when you looked at the dedication of the faculty there, um, past East President Kim Nagy, um, Roxanne Roberts, Kim Joseph, it Yes, it was taking care of the individual, the patient that came in, but also taking care of the family system and the community system and all of those things that came together. And you, we were operating in every part of the body. You know, a quote that Dylan has heard me use to this day, you know, just put your finger on it, take a deep breath, and figure out what you're going to do. It's always a little bit different. That was from, from John Barrett. Um, you know, it, it, it added the diversity in surgery that, that, felt like was just missing for me in other places. It added a more holistic approach to medicine. It wasn't just cut and go. It was cut, keep, figure out how to never have this happen again. Um, the thing I think that sealed it for me, um, you know, I came back to the university and I really, I, I loved pretty much everything I did when I was training, but I missed it. Um, I missed trauma. I missed that holistic, that holistic view. Um, there's a patient that I had operated on my second year, and, and when you rotated um, through county, basically, when you were on call, whoever you admitted, they were yours to keep, and, you know, the whole time you were there. So I was there two months as a as a two. When I came back as a fourth year, um, we'd had a patient that I took care of second year who came in, you know, a Bible sale gone wrong, eviscerated, never put paper towels on an eviscerated wound. It's gross. You have to pick them off forever. You're in an open abdomen, everything, you know, sick as sink in the ICU. You know, by the end of that second month, he was finally on the floor, had an EC fistula, everything that you would imagine that could happen. And he wasn't the stereotype. He had a supportive mom. And, yes, it was a single-parent home, but she was there every day. Um, so not, you know, trauma affects everybody. It, it doesn't matter where you are or where you live. When I came back fourth year, um, he came through the ICU when I happened to be rotating. Didn't recognize him because he looked so healthy. <laughs> the last time I'd seen him, he didn't look that way. He had just had his abdominal wall reconstructed. He was in nursing aid school, and his life was better. And it really became, how could I not do this with my life more than why would I want to do this? And then 
um, my fellowship is at the University of Louisville, and we were the only surgeons at University Hospital in Louisville. It's a little bit different now, but we did urgent vascular, and unless it went on pump, we did all urgent cardiac. Yes, there was orthopedics, but we did all of the emergency general surgery plus the traumatic injuries, et cetera, and it just was the best of everything. Some may say the worst because there's a lot of nighttime, there's a lot of other, but if you can take a family system that's at its very, 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 very worst, its most strained component, and bring them through intact, and whether you're able to have, um, Hiram Polk's quote to me one time was, you know, girly, sometimes people are just too hurt to live. Even with that, if you can keep that family unit just heartbroken, how could you not do it? Oh, yeah. So, you know, that's that, and it sounds, you know, kind of trite and cheesy and all of that, but I think you go through training and you find what fits, and trauma just fit for me, and I hope that our residents that work with us, even though we have our cranky moments, myself included, get some of that from us. I mean, if I hadn't been with John Barrett and Kim Nagy and that whole echelon of amazing technical surgeons and amazing human beings, you know, what I've made the same choice. So, but, yeah. you know, that's 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 kind of how I ended up in trauma. Great. That's so. Yeah, and you sort of mentioned, you know, a, a number of folks who had been mentors for you, you know, Dr. Polk and Dr. Nagy um, and some others. Were there any people who kind of made you, really challenged you and really made you wonder if that was the right path well, for you? So my program director at the time who, um, you know, is in a different role in New York City now, um, certainly he didn't get it. He just didn't get it. And much like Dylan said, I think we all see our we all see what we choose to do as a pinnacle. Like how could I not want to be, you know, a a GI specialist, surgical oncologist? How could I not want to do that? And I thought surgical oncology was cool, but you do a whipple and they still die in two years. It right. just um it just wasn't it it just didn't fit me and um Ultimately, um, you know, I had mentors that were incredibly supportive, and I think it's good to have those that challenge your decision-making and make you really look objectively at the career choice because I think one of the mistakes that that trainees can make is, oh, that was a really cool thing to do. That's what I want to do, but they don't really give thought to the whole picture of what that, that career entails, and either they end up happy, unhappy or changing or doing other things. We had one of our trainees from here who actually went into breast who then decided that that wasn't it and now is, you know, a military surgeon. So I think that, um, you know, there's, it's important to ask those questions. Yeah. So, and if you don't have someone question what you're doing, then maybe you're not doing the right thing. Good point. Excellent point. All right. So last question, how, how has East affected your career? Um, Oh, good golly, gumdrop. See, now you're asking um, yet another question about which I'm moderately to severely emotional. So East, for me, has been my home away from home since the first meeting I went to. I was fortunate to have mentors that were all strong East East members. Um, I tell my residents now one of the kind of best things I ever did in my career. I was finishing up fellowship, and I was looking at jobs and ended up staying on Louisville and uh, on faculty in Louisville, but I looked at East Carolina, and at that time, um, past President Rotundo was there, past East President Rotundo, and then, you know, chair of the CRT, et cetera. And, you know, Greenville, North Carolina was not the best fit for me, but um, 
even with all of that, you know, he um I he helped with my involvement in East, was always supportive and I think that's kind of what's special about the trauma community. You know, I look at people that have looked at at us here in Rochester for career options and it wasn't the right fit, but it's not like you never talk to them again. So for me, East, you know, it's easy to get involved. It's easy to work for the organization. You know, I started off on the careers section and it was fantastic. I got to do stuff I never thought I would be able to do. Someone's like, you've got an idea? Great. Let's support you. Let's get you to do it. Um, went from there to the program committee, which is amazing. Um, and then led the career development section for three years and, you know, then ended up as president-elect in the role I hold now. But I think what makes East so special is that no, when you go to the meeting, people look at your badge for your name, and that's it. Not how can you better my career, how can you do something for me. And the leadership of the organization is absolutely dedicated to the mission of East, which is supporting the young trauma surgeon, whether you're choosing an academic pathway or a private pathway, how can we help you move forward? How can we help you maximize your professional identity, endeavors, et cetera? And when you look at a lot of the career casts that are out there, um, these were started two years ago. Jamie Coleman was at the, the helm of them, um, and you've been, you know, you're helming them now and worked with her closely last year. But if you look at what they're geared for, you know, the military surgeon that's coming out that needs career development, how do you get your first job? That's the focus. That's what EAST is all about. And professional development-wise, it's let me do everything, Excellent. absolutely Brad, everything. I have, uh, Brad, it's Christine. I have a question for Dylan yeah. and, um, and Sam. Hearing Dr. Stassen, her response to that, what's your reaction to that? You know, you know, what does East mean to her? What is it? What is your reaction when you hear her describe it? Uh, sounds great. I attended my first East meeting not too long ago, and uh, had a great time. I took advantage of attending many meetings this year, uh, all of which were were wonderful. But I, East has a very good vibe, and I look forward to going going to it for years to come. I think uh, it's particularly chosen a focus of helping young surgeons find their niche and developing their careers, and it can be a little daunting uh, at some of the other meetings, and I think East is, uh, it's just, it's it's a great environment for, you know, figuring it all out. Yeah, I second that. <clears throat> Having gone two years in a row, it's very laid back, um, you never feel like you can't talk to someone. Oh, that you know. Like, oh, that's the past president. You can't talk to that guy. Or, you know, you're, you're just at the bar having drinks, or you're at the, the barbecue. You feel free to talk to everybody, and um, you really you can help your career along as well by meeting all these, these nice and, and different people from around the country who are, all have the same interest in trauma. Yeah, excellent. Well, speaking of which, uh, Sam, do you guys have any questions for Dr. Stassen while you've got her, you know, captive right now? I take Dr. Sesson captive fairly frequently. Uh, and not in a creepy way. He just stops by the office. <laughs> so. uh, I can't think of any at the moment. Okay. Well, as I told Brad, you know, trauma is a really small world. Brick Christmas was one of my residents when I was a fellow. So indirectly, you're held captive by me pretty much all the time anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time. I have a black cloud when he was at Louisville as well. 
He was. He was at Louisville. Things that, that he and I discuss on occasion. So, Dr. Davis, I have some questions for you, my friend. Okay. So, how do you end up in trauma? Um, so I ended up in trauma, uh, I guess I didn't really decide that's what I was interested in and really had very little interest in any sort of acute uh, care stuff until I was a, a preliminary intern um, at Atlanta Medical Center. And I, um, you know, kind of initially graduated medical school thinking I wanted to do orthopedics and, you know, just kind of be sawbones like, you know, all of the guys that, you know, we knew, I think, in med school. And as I got into uh, my prelim year, I realized that, Rather than being the guys who were waiting for the trauma surgeons and the critical care team to stabilize the patient, that I really enjoyed the stabilizing them, the resuscitation, you know, those people who came in and were dying right in front of you, you know, getting to work, you know, getting them uh, resuscitated, doing their initial operation and stabilizing that hemorrhage, you know, do that hemorrhage control procedure, um, and then handing them over, you know, optimized, if you will, to a um, to, to some of the consultants, you know, that to me was really rewarding. And then seeing those people go from, you know, uh, sepsis on the floor, come to the ICU, get resuscitated, get source control, you know, and then recover. Like those were the things that were really um, impactful to me that, that meant a lot, that really I really felt like I was actually taking care of patients and I was really doing something that was rewarding and beneficial um, rather than, you know, fixing a, a bum shoulder or, you know, fixing a hammer toe or something, you know, crucial, but but ultimately not very important. So um, so that's, I guess, when I first started, you know, noticing that trauma was something I was really drawn towards. And then during the remainder of my residency, I really, you know, um, I guess I sort of heard a lot of that criticism of the specialty and, and really said, you know, heard that, do you really want to work those hours? Do you really want to be in the hospital, you know, every third night? Do you really want, you know, to deal with those kinds of patients? And, and so I I kept telling myself, well, maybe I don't, and let's see what some of these other specialties offer. And and sort of like you said, I, I just I, they just really didn't do it for me. Um, and trauma was the one thing I kept coming back to. You know, when I'm studying for boards and for abside and things like that, those were the things that I was most interested in learning and reading about. Um, you know, the how we're dealing with you know a two centimeter breast lesion really didn't hold my interest very very much. But you know, dealing with you know the grade four liver laceration and a combined TBI, that was that was stuff that was interesting to me. So, um, And I think eventually I just said, you know what, I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter what other people say about it. You know, I talked to some of my attendings. Um, at this point I was in Macon, Georgia, at, uh, at the Mercer program with Dennis Ashley. Um, and, you know, he really talked to me a lot about, you know, this actually is a really good lifestyle. You know, we're here, you're certainly in the hospital a lot at night, but we also have a lot of family time. Um, and so, you know, that really kind of put me – um, over the edge and said, yes, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, it's definitely been the best decision I've made. So what about East and you? So I'm relatively young uh, East member. I've been uh, an East member now for, I think, three years. Um, and so I'm, I certainly don't have all the, the great experiences that you have, but, you know, um, I've, I've kind of followed some of my local mentors' advice here, Oscar Gilmandegi and Oliver Gunter, and just jumped in, you know, and said, you know, I want to volunteer for a committee. I want to be involved. Um, and so I got placed on the um, careers committee uh, last year, careers section last year. Uh, and on the, you know, in our conference calls, there was, you know, a lot of work to, do, to be done. Uh, the careers section does quite a bit of stuff, more than I realized. Um, and so, you know, I had the opportunity to be one of the course directors for the leadership conference last year. 
And so I said, absolutely, I'll do that. And um, it was actually just an awesome experience getting to, um, you know, sort of create the agenda, work with you and some of the folks who had done it previously and sort of figure out what, what sort of things had worked in the past and how we could incorporate that into, you know, the, the current, you know, uh, structure of the, of the course. And then also, you know, doing these podcasts uh, has been has been a lot of fun as well, having conversations with a lot of the big names in, in trauma. So. so do you ever feel like you've been told no? And he's like, nah, you can't do that. You're No, not at all. In fact, you know, uh, that's one of the things that that has been really great about East is that you know it, as soon as you raise your hand, there's people saying yes, absolutely, love to have you. Even if we've got you know a few people are to work on this, you know more people that we have working on things is is better, and uh, and it's been really inviting and, and welcoming for sure. Those are all the questions that I have for you. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you. So I think that's about all the time we have. Um, so on behalf of the East Career Development Section, I want to thank all three of you for taking the time. Uh, to speak with me today. Um, and as a reminder for those residents and fellows listening today, applications for the 2017 Orion's Award will open later on this summer. The application deadline is October 31st. So now's a great time to start thinking about your essay. And uh, as in previous years, the topic uh, is, this is why I want a career in trauma and acute care surgery. Um, a reminder again that Orion's winners will get free East Scientific Assembly meeting registration travel and lodging reimbursement for the meeting, and they're invited to read their essay during the 2017 East Orion's Awards session at the meeting. Dr. Stassen uh, reminded me earlier that as an additional bonus, fellow winners, along with their sponsoring uh, faculty member, uh, are invited to participate in the panel session at Point Counterpoint in the spring. Um, and so this year, uh, we're fortunate to have our uh, keynote speaker, speaker for the Orion's uh, lecture be Dr. J. David Richardson. Uh, from uh, Louisville, so he's a past president of the uh, of the AAST. He's the ACS president, and he's the editor of the American Surgeon. Um, so we're we're extremely lucky to have him um, already agreed to speak uh, at, at the 2017 East Orient's Award session. Um, so I'm Brad Dennis, and I hope you enjoyed the program. When you find a moment of time, please visit the East website at www.east.org for more East Career podcasts and other valuable information. Also, if you like what you've heard today, please give us a rating on iTunes. Positive reviews lead to a higher profile on iTunes, which help us reach more people interested in trauma and acute care surgery. So thank you, and have a great day.